0: You're listening to Legal Skinny Podcast with Trisha Burita. I'm a 15 year licensed practicing attorney in the state of Texas. I created Legal Skinny because when I've been invited to do educational seminars on different subjects in employment law, employers and HR professionals would often ask me, where can they find out a little more information on this or a little more information on that? Look, I get it, there's a lot of resources out there, but sometimes it's confusing and people are so busy. Sometimes people have only 30 or 15, or maybe even five minutes in their day to devote to learning something new. On this podcast, you'll hear me have discussions and interviews on topics relevant to employers. Disclaimer though legal skinny is for entertainment and informational purposes only, not meant to provide legal advice and doesn't create an attorney client relationship. Also, remember laws change or they differ by jurisdiction. So this is not a substitute for seeking legal counsel in your jurisdiction on the current law applicable to you. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Legal Skinny Podcast. I have a little case study to chat about today. The CLE Management Company, Inc., a property sale, rental and management company headquartered in Tuscaloosa, Alabama agreed to settle a lawsuit that the EEOC filed against them to resolve a sexual harassment and retaliation claim. Now this company owns and manages apartments in Alabama and three other states. The agreement to settle, they agreed to pay $88,785 as well as agree to a two-year consent decree uh, with this sort of standard thing you see in those consent decrees to revise anti-discrimination policy and procedures, providing training to all the employees, and post written notice to employees of their right to a discrimination-free workplace. So I can't recall if I've mentioned this before, but the EEOC doesn't take up just any case on behalf of an employee. Um, you know, oftentimes employees will file a claim with the EEOC and they will be issued a right to sue letter where maybe another attorney might take up the case on behalf of that employee. Um, so uh, the EOC's decision to take a case, well, the facts have to be, um, in, in my opinion, or should I say um, the alleged facts, uh, they, they have to be bad. Uh, then usually in the investigation, uh, the EOC has to determine, well, I think, uh, usually more bad facts. So, um, that's usually the kind of cases I feel like the EOC tends to take on behalf of the employee. So, uh, if you were on a game show, um, let, let's, uh, pretend we're on a game show here, <laughs> play along with me. Um, let's play. Why did the EOC pick this one? Uh, which facts that I'm going to tell you about, do you think stood out to them? I know I come up with the best games. Uh, I get it. I get it. I am a lawyer, uh, but, um, but just bear with me, um, and, and see if we go through these, what you guys think. So seriously, um, I'm going to give you the general timeline of the alleged facts, alleged, of course, you know, because this was a settlement. Um, but to consider, you know, what, um, based on these facts in the EOC summary, you think um, stood out to the EOC on why they would take this case on behalf of the employee? Okay, so here's here's the basic timeline. According to the EOC, uh, the victim in this case is a woman who was an assistant manager. A supervisor and another coworker of the woman spread what the EOC describes as false, sexually explicit rumors about her, specifically that she received a promotion because she slept with the company president. The woman assistant manager repeatedly complained to management. Uh, The woman assistant manager endured the false and malicious rumor for over a year. No remedial action was taken. Uh, They, um, suspended the woman assistant manager after she complained. After the woman assistant manager filed a charge with the EOC, CLE placed her on unpaid leave. And when she resigned, Sealy recharacterized her resignation as a termination for violation of company policy. Now, my guess hmm, from these alleged facts, uh, I don't know. I mean, you guys are probably thinking some of the same things I am, you know, not taking the complaint seriously over a period of time. I mean, a year's a long time over a year. Uh, so, Um, that would definitely be high up on my list. Also, you know, not trying to remove the woman from this environment of the rumors and these individuals, you know, uh, that's the first thing that comes to mind when, you know, someone is claiming, especially anything that's, you know, um, you know, potential hostile work environment kind of situation, you know, even if you still have to conduct an investigation, you, you know, if you took the facts that they are, were potentially true, you know, Trying to remove the person who's who's supposedly the um, alleged victim and and put them in a place where they're no longer in that environment. I mean that would be that would be a good thing to do from the employer's perspective to try to you know um, alleviate the damages you know um, that are being caused to this person. And then um, I think the, the the putting putting the manager the woman manager um, you know who's the alleged victim on unpaid leave. Uh, which is always concerning, because it does appear that you know you're sort of blaming them uh, for something. Uh, so that that would probably maybe stand out, I think, to the EOC. Uh, it certainly stood out to me. Uh, you know, this converting the resignation to a termination violation of policy. I'm not even sure how that works and how they tried to make that make sense because. That, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know the timing exactly, but I mean, if someone resigned, they resigned and, and trying to turn it around and say, well, no, we fired you because you violated a policy to try to cover that up, that they were resigning. Um, you know, that's, that's, those aren't great facts. If that, if that's true. I mean, I could go on and on. I mean, the retaliation potential issues there and so on. And, and maybe you guys are thinking all of these things as well. You know, there's, there's quite a lot there just from the limited amount of facts that I gave you. One of the many lessons we learned here from the way that the facts have been alleged is always investigate when you can. And, uh, and remember that that's, you know, employees, especially at will employees that aren't even under contracts. Right. Um, You know, not only can you maybe let them go right um, on an at will basis, they can leave you. So if there's a complaint, you may only have a limited amount of time to take to actually, you know, take that investigation seriously. So uh, think of the timing of all of that. And because I think over a year here, I'm, you know, um, it seems to me that the in, according to the ledger facts, there would have been quite a bit of time there to conduct an investigation, depending on when they exactly found out. And then. The the other part of that lesson would be if you're if you're conducting some type of investigation, obviously to be thoughtful about the way that you handle the investigation. Okay, and and one more guess based on um, you know, my final answer if I had to guess, uh, if we were on a game show, like I said, and if 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 I was on, you know, who wants to be a millionaire, and Regis Philbin was like, "Is that your final answer?" and I had to pick one, well. My final answer is rumor-mongering, the spreading of rumors. And I do steal my answer from the EOC's own words. The EOC Birmingham District Director Bradley Anderson said of this case, Spreading workplace rumors that a woman was hired or promoted because of a sexual relationship and not on her merit can create a hostile work environment. This case illustrates why employers should have strong policies and procedures to prevent sexual harassment, including policies against this kind of rumor mongering. That's what he said. So be careful all out there if, you, if you've got a bunch of gossips in your midst. I, I think like almost every workplace does. Um, you know who they are. <laughs> so, um, I mean, according to this case, the EOC does not like it. And a rumor just, you know, maybe it just isn't a rumor anymore um, when it creates a potential hostile work environment. And while maybe things had gone better for this employer, if if they had had, had the opportunity um, to really investigate and they had taken that opportunity and any other actions related to whatever came out of that investigation. But I think. Um, maybe possibly, if I were guessing, um, on behalf of the employer, you know, it was that someone dismissed this as a rumor, possibly as idle gossip, and it wasn't taken seriously at all. And I think that is the lesson to be learned from this one. And that's the legal skinny on the EEOC case on rumor mongering. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Legal Skinny podcast. Do not forget to subscribe to get future podcast episodes. Also check out LegalSkinny.com to join our newsletter and get details on all the educational resources we offer the employer. Also disclaimer, remember Legal Skinny is for entertainment and informational purposes only, not meant to provide legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. Laws change or they differ by jurisdiction. So also remember. This is not a substitute for seeking legal counsel in your jurisdiction on the current law applicable to you.